0: Real quick, my friends, if you want to make more money with less marketing of your books, then go to my website, zbooks.co, and download my free Niche Finder tool. At the top of the page, it's called Free Niche Finder tool. And when you download that tool, you're going to get a bunch of emails from me that show you exactly what to do and video tutorials. And you're going to make more money by optimizing your books. I've helped a lot of people with this tool. Already, So go to zbooks.co and get the free Niche Finder tool. All right, back to that podcast.
1: Everybody, whether you're the president of a company or the paperboy, everybody has the exact same amount of time.
2: You and I both have 24 hours a day. No more, no less. The question is, what do you do with your time?
0: Welcome to Z Books Successful Authors Podcast, and with me today I have the honor to interview a man who has healed and helped people, over thousands of people, with their pain after operations and many other things. He's got a resume that's longer than Sigmund Freud's and Carl Jung's put together.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: without further ado, help me welcome Dr. Bernie Siegel. Hi Bernie, how you doing?
1: Thank you, Eric. Well, I tell people not to ask me that because, <laughs> uh, you know, we've all got troubles. I always say, listen to the news. And, yeah. uh, you know, but it, it's to really orient people, that, not just that flippant, how are you? You know, yeah. total strangers. Uh, and I often say, if you want to know, do you have the time to listen? And let me just say one other thing because. For a while, I used to say, I'm depressed, I'm out of my antidepressant, my doctor's away on vacation.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You want to learn what the world is like, say that to people, because one day my wife said to me, honey, you're not listening, you think it's funny. And I started paying attention to their answers. Incredibly, how many people were offering me their antidepressants from pocketbooks, lockers. (laughs) And, and the world is wounded. And I always say, put a bandage over your eye and go shopping or go to work and watch how many people talk to you about their troubles because they know yeah. you understand you've got a visible wound. But we're yeah. all wounded. So next That's time you see somebody say, you look wonderful, have a nice day, <laughs> how are you? Right.
0: I, I read that in your book, The Art of Healing. And mm-hmm. you have a lot of books uh, Uh, a a very uh, impressive product palette. And um, so, uh, yeah, why don't we just start with, um, what are you working on lately?
1: Well, I'm in the middle of two books um, because I found something I wrote 20 years ago uh, and letters from ministers saying Uh how spiritual my writing was Mm -hmm. and that they quote me when they give sermons. And they made me aware of how I was writing things and then they would quote something from the Bible that was saying the same thing and, and that I have found true it's not that I was an expert with the Bible I was just saying what I had experienced as a matter right. of fact years ago people uh, especially doctors you're blaming your patients I said what are you talking about you're asking them what's going on in their life I said yeah I want them to be aware why they may have gotten sick at this time and then and found this quote from Jesus. It is done unto you as you believe. So I mm-hmm. said, well, why didn't everybody quote Jesus and say, what are you blaming us for? <laughs> <Just because they laughs> yeah. believe it, you're making it up, yeah. Paul? Yeah. yeah. But people have to understand you can't separate your mind from your body. Right. And yeah. I always called myself a Jungian surgeon yeah. because of all the things I learned that doctors are never told. I mean, so, Jung interpreted a dream and diagnosed a brain tumor. That's right. in his writing. How did how did that do the medical that? students and say ask people? And one of my books is called The Book of Miracles, where dreams are included. You mm-hmm. know, somebody appears in a dream, a woman, dark skin with an accent, appears in your dream, says you have a lump in your right breast. You need to have that checked. Mm-hmm. Woman wakes up, feels it, goes to the hospital, diagnoses cancer. She's told. Your oncologist will be coming in in a few minutes who's going to direct your treatment. Who do you think walks into the room five minutes later? The woman from her dream. Oh. She is a doctor from India who came here to practice. And here she is. So patients weren't afraid to talk to me because they knew I wasn't normal. I mean, that's what a lot of them told me. And so they said, I know I can talk to you about this. Yeah. Um, because we know you're not a normal doctor. And I get such a kick out of that. But you see, what doctors are doing, and I'll give you an example in a minute, mm-hmm. is treat people like a mechanical object. Yep. Meaning, if you need electrical work on your house, you call an electrician. If the plumbing, you call, you don't have a house specialist. Well, I sent articles, just what you talk about, the art of healing, about drawings and dreams of my patients to a medical journal i thought you know they ought to be interested in this talk to patients about it it's so simple to do and uh, the article came back saying it's interesting but it is not appropriate for our journal mm-hmm. so i sent it to a psychiatry journal came right back but this time i thought it was so interesting what is the comment Yes, it's appropriate, but it isn't interesting. We know all this. <laughs> Just the opposite. Yeah, and, and so that's the inadequacy of medical training. You're not being taught how to care for a person.
0: Right. No. So let's get some background. You were a surgeon almost as long as you are now. A healer?
1: hmm Yeah, I, well, what happened was I went to several workshops because I felt in pain over the fact that I couldn't cure everything. Uh, Mm -hmm. You're not trained how to deal with your emotions or feelings. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why did God make a world like this? So I went seeking help for myself. And in those workshops, I did things like meditations that I thought were nuts. Close your eyes and make pictures. Mm -hmm. Then I went to one with Elizabeth Cooper Ross. And she could see the troubles I was having because almost everybody there was somebody who had cancer or some other problem in their family. And I was there because I was a doctor. <laughs> that was my disease. She and said, you had to- draw, draw a picture for me. Right. So I drew this outdoor scene from one of my meditations. I handed it to her. She said, what are you covering up? I said, what are you <laughs> talking about? She said, Bernie, I give you a white piece of paper. You don't need a white crayon to make snow on a mountain. It's already white. <laughs> so you added a layer. And I knew what I was covering up. Because even in a self-portrait I did it myself, when the family got tired of posing and all our pets would run away because they didn't want me to make them sit still, I painted myself in surgical outfit, cap, mask, and gown. Yes, you don't yes. even know it's me. So there were so many symbolic covering ups. And I talked to her about my feelings. Then she said, why is 11 important? I said, what's that question about? (laughs) She said, well, there are 11 trees in the drawing. I said, yeah, I've been doing this work 11 months. And as a matter of fact, I just thought I was also married on the 11th. So Uh there may have been a lot in that number. But she knew so much about me from the drawing. I thought, this is amazing. Let me go (laughs) to the hospital with crayons. And I did a lot of children's surgeries, as well as adults. And I would say, here, draw a picture. And then again, it was incredible what I was learning. Yeah. I mean, I was able to diagnose people fr- sometimes from a drawing they had done just sitting in their hospital room and left it on their little you know, bedside stand. I That's guess. amazing. And I'd say, you don't need surgery. And they'd look at me like, how do you know? I said, <laughs> look at your drawing. Uh, I mean, just an example, the man had drawn a tree. The trunk was wide open. It was connected with open roots underground.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But every branch on the tree was just the width of the point of a pencil.
2: Hmm.
1: So I said to him, your disease is in your liver. Those ducts are blocked. You have inflammation. Your bile ducts aren't. They're wide open. In other words, a tree in the roots. Wow. And he looks at me like, wow. And I put things like that in the chart so that other doctors would see it. Because they'd be impressed by the anatomy. They, yeah. they could see it in the drawing.
0: Interesting. Yeah. What else does the tree symbolize?
1: Well, or- it's your life, too. Okay. In other words, one woman um, who had called me literally years ago, the phone had a message on it. So I picked it up when I got home. It said, do you have Jack Vorkins phone number? I want to be dead. <laughs> my father sexually abused me and I have a brain tumor and I want to be dead. Yeah. And I called her and I told her I loved her. She became what I call my chosen daughter, and I became her chosen dad. <laughs> and that was a label given to me by a suicidal teenager wow. who felt my love and didn't commit suicide. So wow. she, I worked on it and I said, Becky, draw a picture for me and mail it. She sent me a tree. Um and in her tree there was a certain area where it was like black, um, like a knot hole in the tree.
2: Uh-huh.
1: If you took the tree, in other words, if I said, Becky, how old are you? And then I looked at the tree and divided it, say, into 25 segments. Yeah. I could tell which segments were black and how old she was when her father abused her. Wow, Wait, what, uh, where was the black part? Well, right in, in the younger years of her life, and the other thing that was interesting, she had spots all over her face. I said, <laughs> why are the spots on your face? And she said, that's how many times he did it. Wow. And that's, that's crazy. Stuff, as I say, that's amazing. But on the other hand, also in simple way, if somebody says, I have to go have chemotherapy, I'm having surgery next week, draw yourself in the operating room, draw yourself having chemotherapy. Now, when one woman draws the devil giving me poison, <laughs> You know she's going to have side effects on the way to the doctor, wow. and others can draw it as coming from God. I tell them, "Don't worry, go ahead." While the ones who draw, you know, the operating room is a black, empty box, and you're lying there alone, I tell them to visualize the operating room in a different way. Going there, everybody caring about you, doing well, getting up, going right home, feeling well. And then a week later, and there's one woman, she drew this beautiful picture of the operating room. Um, you know, just with God's light and that family outside and all the doctors caring for her inside. I said, okay, it's all right to go now. Because literally, your mind is so powerful. Nurses would say to me, your patients are a problem. What's, what is it? They don't take pain medication, they refuse it. I said, ever occur to you they don't hurt? The nurses thought I was nuts. But I prepared my patients. So they might say, oh, yeah, I'm sore, but I don't need morphine. You know, uh, just a little pill will be fine. Thank you. And I learned it's really hypnotic that children took my word as the truth. Mm -hmm. Often they were misinterpreting it, though. So you say to a child, you'll go to sleep and you go in the operating room. And they fell asleep when I wheeled them in. Hmm. And I thought, what's going on? Then I realized, you said he'd fall asleep when he went in the operating room. Hmm. It became a joke. The staff used to burst out laughing. Because I realized this was wonderful for the kids.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Nothing to fear. I mean, (laughs) I start laughing when I say that because some of them would yell at me. And I'd say, what are you getting mad at me for? You said I'd go to sleep and i sleep on my stomach. This was a boy I was turning over to get his appendix out. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's the part that impressed people. He took it yeah. so literally, he flipped over and went to sleep. So I had wow. to turn that. But I learned, and I would say this to any medical person listening to this,
2: mm-hmm.
1: the next time you use an alcohol sponge, to clean the skin before an injection, tell the person, this is a new type of sponge. It numbs your skin as well as cleaning it. I will uh-huh. guarantee you that two-thirds of the people will say, thank you, I didn't feel it. Why don't the other doctors do that? It's like
0: you're hypnotizing them and they That's don't know right.
1: it. Yeah, the other third will say, I felt it. I say, oh, it's probably a bad sponge. Huh. You know? But Interesting. But they, they still had some relief. You know, I felt it versus, ow, that hurts. And so I are, always, they,
0: in a, yeah, are uh, they in a kind of state of hypnosis when they yeah. go to you? Or yes. you
1: yeah. you words... I I call it deceiving people into health. I I put an article on my website. Yeah. Again, doctors aren't trained to talk to people. You know. You know. I mean, we have all these commercials on television for drugs. What do they tell you? Or what? You know, they tell you all the things that could go wrong after they tell you it's good for your blood pressure. But by the time (laughs) they're done telling you, you could be sterilized, cancer, heart attack. I mean, I'd say, who wants the pill? Um, That's pretty crazy. And, and doctors have to understand how to talk to people. It would be a lot better if they said, there are side effects associated with it, but everybody doesn't have the side effects. It's just right. something we want to alert you about. Yeah, and because uh, I would often tell patients, let your family read the list of side effects. And if you have something, you tell them, I'm having a headache, okay? And they say, that's not on the list. Yeah, because I know people who have lost their vision, mm-hmm. and the family has given them the wrong pills. Oh, you know when they ask for something. Yeah, um, and uh, that's the part that that is so crazy. But does the pill work? Yes. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's only when somebody else in the family says, "What are you doing?" You know, Shuts. and then they realize they gave them the wrong pill because of as one woman said, uh, there was a C on it. So she gave her mother compazine instead of coumadin, which is an anticoagulant. You know, okay. but did the mother do okay? Yeah, because she thought she was taking it. And <laughs> let, me, let me say it in a positive way, too, that a radiation therapist said to me one day, I feel terrible. I said, what's the matter? He said, I just inspected the machine, which we do every month. I realized when they repaired it last month, they did not put the radioactive material back in. So I haven't treated anybody for a month. I said, are you a dumbbell? He said, no, I'm not a dumbbell. Why did you say that? I said, then how come you didn't realize you hadn't treated anybody? (laughs) He said, it's because all your patients thought they were being treated and they had side effects and shrinking tumors because they thought they were being treated. He almost fainted. He said, "That's crazy, huh?" you're right, think of the power of the mind, and then I've had phone calls from radiation therapists and oncologists saying, we thought we weren't treating your patient because they had no side effects. but well, mm-hmm. then we saw your name in the record. we realized it's a crazy patient."
2: <laughs>
1: That's a quote from a, a, a radiation oncologist, because yeah. he went back to the patient, said, "Oh, I see you on Dr Siegel's patients." How come you don't have a side effects? She said, "I get out of the way and I let it go to my tumor." Yeah, hmm. interesting. Then, uh, a woman was brought to me by her relative because her doctor told me, "You're going to be dead in a few months. Don't bother to get chemotherapy. You'll feel worse." <laughs> Just you know, that's a nice thing to say. So she brought her to me, saying, "Doctor Siegel makes people well all the time." I called my oncologist friends the ones who knew about my crazy patients and he examined her and she had leukemia. So I said to her, it's not a surgical situation, but he said, Bernie, I agree with her doctor. She doesn't have much hope, but I know you and your crazy patients. So I will give her hope and we'll start the treatment within two months. This lady was in complete remission from her leukemia, not a sign of cancer in her body. How did that happen? She said, I'm glad you asked that question. She said, when Dr. Siegel sat on my bed and hugged me, I knew I'd get better. Whoa. Wow. And so that and, was and all... T- you know, The oncologist, he said to me, I know you and your crazy patients, so I'll give her hope. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. But that's um, a compliment. That became, uh, it's in your book, how um, uh, one of Bernie's crazy patients is, is like a, a
1: compliment now, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they meant it, you know, in a complimentary humorous way, because when I started as a surgeon doing group therapy, I was criticized by the doctors. They said, you're not a psychiatrist. You don't know what the hell you're doing. You may, you know, you may kill people faster (laughs) in a group. But then they began to see the difference about the people. You know, it wasn't just me because the people, this was another shock to me. At one of those meetings where I told you about meditating and all that stuff, I was the only doctor out of 150 people. It blew my mind because it was by a doctor for doctors to help their cancer patients. And I'm the only doctor in the state of Connecticut who showed up. Um, But my patients sat around me. And one of them said, I need to know how to live between office visits. So when I went back to my office, I had the secretary send letters to cancer patients. She forgot to put into it, it's only for the patient, you know, who gets this letter. And she sent out a hundred letters. So I thought, oh my God, she'll bring her relatives, her neighbors, her friends, I'll have hundreds of people. And what the hell am I gonna do? You know, how am I gonna manage it? 12 women showed up out of a hundred letters. And that's when you realize, these are people who are not survivors. They're not, you know, they don't have that will to live. Or they're afraid. He tells you to draw a picture. I'm not an artist. (laughs) I'm having cancer. And I don't make up any of these stories. And I ask him to draw a picture. And the woman hands me a picture. And it says at the bottom, I had my 10-year-old son do this because I'm not good at drawing. Lady, I'm trying to help you with cancer. And you're afraid of a drawing? What What is going on? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: In one of your your quotes, I mean, I've been underlining and highlighting your book uh, for the last three days, basically. But one of your quotes is, The questions we must ask are, how does the invisible become visible? Right. And go ahead. I don't know.
1: Are you done? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, I had just written a spiritual book because the answer is God speaks in dreams and visions.
2: Mm -hmm. I mean, the
1: Bible tells us that. See, what's the universal language? I, I could have somebody who's Chinese draw me a picture and right. I can tell them something. I don't need to speak Chinese, you yes. see, because that's the universal language. And uh, God Impressive. did that so that there would be some way we could all communicate. But at the same time, God wanted us to have different languages. Um, the Tower of Babel, that story, you know. Breaking yes. down. But anyway... Uh, so, it's the dreams and images that is, are the universal language, and colors have meaning too. Think about that, you know. Yeah, what makes you stop when you're driving? A red light, mm-hmm. you know, purple oh. is a spiritual color. Yeah, I always say it's like God's residence b- blue and the passion color red. You mix it okay. together, yeah, so that every color has meaning, and um. And believe me, you see yeah. it in life, you know, what people color things. So the colors have meaning. Even the position on, on the page relates right. to time, your past, present, and future. Um, oh, well, so let's get into that. Yeah. Um, you just
0: men- mentioned colors and past, present, and future. Right. Um, well, okay, let's start with the colors. What, what do the colors mean in the drawing?
1: Well, I don't tell people ahead of time. Okay?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that, oh, that's another question I had. What's the process? Do you just... Well,
1: it's, I give them a full box of, of crayons, black okay. and white, um, brown, and then the rainbow. Okay. So, well, let me give you a wonderful c- quote. Solzhenitsyn, in his book, Cancer Ward, mm-hmm. has one of the men come in and say, look, it says here in this book, there are cases of self-induced healing. You never hear a doctor tell you that. Doctors talk about spontaneous remissions. You Mm -hmm. see, you're lucky if it happens. But I learned to say to people, how come you didn't die when you were supposed to? And they (laughs) all had a story. So I taught others what I learned from those stories. But he said self-induced healing, and it was as though self-induced healing flooded out of the great open book like a rainbow-colored butterfly. Mm -hmm. They all held up their heads and cheeks for its healing touches. It flew past. Now, why would he pick a rainbow-colored butterfly? Because those symbols mean something. What's the butterfly? The symbol of transformation. Aha! Yeah, the caterpillar struggles, gets out of the cocoon, right. becomes a butterfly. So when people transform their lives, that's when they didn't die. But what do you transform? You create a life of order the rainbow, Uh and then beautiful things happen because your body responds. The body chemistry is altered when you're living that kind of life. And literally, so people understand, if somebody's in a comedy show and you draw their blood, their immune function improves, stress hormone levels go down. Put them in a tragedy and the opposite happens. The immune function goes down, stress hormone levels go up, and they're only, you know, acting, yeah. how we act Monday morning, we have more heart attacks, strokes, suicides, and illnesses. So you have to understand that. And then on the page, as I said, there are quadrants. Okay. Um, The upper left, I'll mention that so people know is the far future or the death concept. And, but why is the future, the death concept? Well, not the future. But oh. that's why I can represent either thing. I'm not trying to scare people. I okay, okay. That. See, somebody can put the sunshine up there, and I say, hey, look, yeah, yeah. it's beautiful. Or they say, <laughs> I don't know where to move to. Hmm. And I say, look what's in the upper left. That's hmm. where you ought to go. You know okay. that's the a place for you. But as one woman did, she drew a picture with her husband in that upper corner, flying a purple balloon.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I said to her, you're ready to go, but your husband isn't ready to let go. Hmm. So she brought him in and said to him, honey, and she was a nurse, she said, I'm ready to go. You have to Hmm. let go. He said, but you do everything. You're a nurse, you take care of the house, you pay the bills, (laughs) if you die, I'm dead. Hmm. She said, I will train you. Mm Mm-hmm. And there were four trees in the picture. Four months later, he said, honey, I cut the string. If you need to go, it's okay. She wow. said, all right, I'll die Thursday when the kids get here from California. <laughs> she called out her
0: death three days in advance, huh?
2: Yeah.
1: Well, my That's father, crazy. he said to my mother, I need to get out of here. My mother said, oh, you want to get out of bed? He said, no, I want to get out of my body. Wow. And I said, look... If you want to go, okay, when do you want to? He said, I'll die Sunday. So we had a wonderful, beautiful party. Everybody came, and my father literally died laughing because of crazy stories my mother was telling. You see, the craziness of life. I go for a walk before going to the hospital, Mm -hmm. and a voice, and I mean this literally, I heard a voice say to me, how did your parents meet? I said, I don't know. And the voice said, ask your mother when you get to the hospital. When I walked in the hospital room, instead of hugging them and crying and loving, I said, how did you two meet? And my mother said, I was on the beach on vacation with girls I didn't know. I learned later they had a terrible reputation.
2: Hmm. So
1: some boys were coming down the beach and they tossed tossed coins to see who would get the other girls and your father lost and got me. He told more stories and my father died laughing. He looked so healthy when he died. I thought he was going to change his mind and say, come back tomorrow. This is too much fun. But when did he die? Again, he can't know who was coming to be there before he died and say goodbye. Yeah. The last person who had told us they'll be there walked into the room. He took his last breath and died. Wow. So, again, the unconscious, mm-hmm. the language. I have had a near-death experience when I was four years old. So, yeah. I know that our bodies die, but our consciousness does not. Right. Yeah. So,
0: so tell us about that, Well, your, your near-death experience.
1: What happened was uh, we had carpenters in the house. And back in those days, when I was a kid, the carpenters would put the nails in their mouth you know, to keep their hands free, and they pop them out, bang them, and hammer them in. So <laughs> I was sitting on my bed uh, with, the, with an ear infection, and I was playing with my toys. And one of them was a uh, was a uh, telephone. So okay. I unscrewed the screw that was holding the dial in, which mm-hmm. is not a good way to make that toy. And I put the pieces in my mouth and I aspirated them, and then I was choking to death. Oh, painful as hell. It is no way to die, believe me. But I couldn't call for help. I couldn't do anything. And then suddenly I realized, hey, I stopped hurting. What's going on? Mm -hmm. I noticed that I'm sort of up in the air, like near the ceiling, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and I immediately, this is the part that interested me. Whenever I told the story, I heard myself talking about the boy on the bed, Hmm. and I watched him dying. I never said I saw myself dying, I mean, I found that e- interesting as a four-year-old yeah, that yeah. I separated myself from that body. I wasn't dying. The kid on the bed was dying. Yeah. And then what happened? Well, first I have to say, I thought it was wonderful and yeah. I wanted to be dead. <laughs> oh. I mean, almost every kid who has this happen says, yeah, I felt that way. What don't you like? Oh, my parents will find me dead. I, I'm sorry, but I prefer being dead. <laughs> And then, and I call it a Heimlich maneuver by my angel because it wasn't my time. Hmm. The boy on the bed had a seizure and vomited. Wow. And I didn't think of it as an angel then. But years later, as a doctor, I thought, you know, he vomited. It's like a Heimlich. You know, everything came flying out. And the thesis came with it. And he took a breath. And then I was sucked back into the body again.
0: Wow, uh, I'm glad
1: that happened. Yeah, but I can tell you, the first words I said were, Who did that? <laughs> now, I had decided to be dead, and then I realized it's not your choice. God has a schedule. You're supposed yeah. to be alive, so stop complaining. And my mother, in those days, you know, near death experience was not something you talked about hmm. uh, or in the newspapers. So when she came in, she wasn't interested in my experience.
2: Yeah. But
1: I thought, what was interesting to me as a four year old is, well, I thought everybody must know about this, so mm-hmm. no point talking about it.
0: But Dr. Today Bernie?
1: We, have, we have books written by everybody yes. uh, when they have that experience because finally it's become accepted.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Before I forget, though, I, did you have like um, a mother or grandmother that was also clairvoyant, or is it in the family? Or is it inborn talent?
1: Well, one of my patients
0: mm-hmm.
1: maybe who you're thinking about um, because she came to me one day for, as, as an office visit, as a patient. And mm-hmm. she said, you know, we've learned, I've learned you're not a normal doctor. You know, mm-hmm. that I had an open mind. So she said, I'm a mystic. And I was uh-huh. meeting with other mystics and I said, let's see if there's a message for Dr. Siegel. And she said, do you want to hear it? I said, sure, go ahead. And she said, it's from Frank. If I, if I'd known it was this easy, I'd have bought the package a long time ago and never have resisted so much. Uh, that's what she said or he said, that's what he said. And she brought me the message. I said, okay. I know who that is. That's a, a doctor whose first name was Frank who had just died of cancer. was a member of our support group. Huh. So when the patient left, uh, her name was Monica. I said, um, I'm going to call his, his wife. And I called Frank's wife. And I said, I have a message from Frank if you want to hear it, but I'm not doing this to upset you. But you want to hear it? I'll tell you. And okay. I said to her, if I'd known it was this easy, I'd have bought the package a long time. And I heard her scream. Open. Oh. I said, I, I told you I don't want to upset you. You're not upsetting me. That's what he said every time we left the meeting. I I can't buy the package. And that made me know that what Monica was doing was getting messages from people who have died. And she would come in. I mean, she's done it with my parents. I mean, these are people she doesn't know at all, doesn't even live near them. But the phone would ring and Monica would have a message. And I give her phone number to people whose loved ones have died. Hmm. Nobody has ever called me and said she's nuts. She doesn't know. They, they always are thankful. And as long as we're talking about this, let me tell you this. Yeah. January of this year, my wife died.
0: Oh, I'm sorry.
1: I thought, let us see if I hear from Monica. Because I'm mm-hmm. not going to call her. She doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Well, my wife died on a Friday On Sunday morning, the phone rings and it's Monica <laughs> Bernie, I got a call from a lovely lady who was an opera singer.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: said, Bobby is fine. She's back together with the family. Everything's okay. Amazing. And you know what my wife's mother was? What? An opera singer. Aha. Uh-huh. And I mean, a well-known classical opera singer. What know, was for, her name, if you care to tell? The country. Pardon? What was her name? Well, her stage name, let me think, uh, was Merle Epton. E-P-P-O-N. Wow. Yeah. And... Uh, I mean, this is like, oh, God, maybe 80 years ago, you know, when she <laughs> was, uh, because I was impressed seeing the old newspapers uh, yeah. about her. Um, but that's a pretty heavy story. Yeah, yeah. You it can fits with your book, too. In what your, in, saying. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, in your book, you have a, an, um, I see you uh, have a lot from C.G. Young, but we'll get to that later. Yes. One of the quotes is, The future is long prepared for in in advance, and therefore it can be guessed by clairvoyance. Right. So So that's
1: why you can get your fortune told.
0: Yeah, my grandma was a tea leaf reader, and everybody, you know, thought it was, you know, but I mean, we we have hundreds of examples that were just too exact to be coincidence. Right. And uh, so, right. So I think that's in your family, too, huh?
1: It well, I'm sure it is. I'm not as good, you know, yep. as a mystic or fortune teller because what Jung was saying is they're reading you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Uh, yep. And so I, with with drawings, I'm mm-hmm. better at it. You know, mm-hmm. having all those images. But yeah. but I will say this: there are times like somebody will come into our cancer support group, and I'll say, "You're going to do well." Yeah. Why? Because I can feel it. You know what I mean? It's like an yep. energy around them and others come in and and it feels so empty when you Mm -hmm. look at them and i know we've got to change them and help them if they're Mm -hmm. going to survive yeah how many people have you
0: helped it's in the
1: thousands already oh god yes (laughs) groups in in the late 70s i believe wow it's been a long long time but i know it's worthwhile see i call it the hope if you know Mm -hmm. what i mean and, and and the survivor personality, you
2: mm-hmm. know, it's
1: worth giving it a shot because yeah, if definitely. you're willing to learn and let me coach them, um, mm-hmm. then I can show them what survivors have taught us Yeah, and and to be able to do that. Yeah.
0: So did you not then make the switch from surgeon to, uh, I don't know, life coach or psychologist? Did you go back to college did, and become a
1: psychologist? No, or? no I, I, I learned from the people. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? They yep. were my teachers. Right. Because if they did well, I mean, that's why I would ask people, how come you didn't die when you were supposed to? <laughs> and they all yep. had stories to tell you. And again, mm-hmm. the psychiatrists write the articles. You see, hmm. I mean, one, um, George Solomon's out in California. When the AIDS epidemic started, he realized there were certain AIDS patients who did very well. Yeah. So he wrote an article about an immune competent personality, see, mm-hmm. because he saw it that way. And yeah. I may add also, there were other psychiatrists who thought I was crazy. What good is yes. it to put people in a group when they have cancer? That's a, well. One of them, who was one of my biggest critics, said, uh-huh. "I'm going to show Siegel's, you know, basically crazy. It doesn't make a difference." He started <laughs> support groups. See, he had a control group. No, no meetings to come to and the other group. And of course, what happened after several years, the people in the support group had a much better survival rate. I think it takes years. None of the control patients were alive. And like three quarters of the group who were, you know, the support group was. He was honest enough to say, hey, Siegel's right. Because I did it. See, when I did a study, uh, people said, well, what do you expect? You know, you're playing with the figures and making it come yeah, out. Yeah, want. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So he got results, but they weren't the ones he wanted, but he was honest enough to. Right, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. So then, then it began to spread, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and not about failing, but about the potential, you know, what could happen. I mean, some of the craziest, simple things that happened, I often tell this story. Somebody said, you should write a book by that title. I'll tell you what it was. A fellow went to the mountains of Colorado to die because he said, it's so beautiful there. I want to die in the mountains. Uh I told the family, call me when he dies, so I'll come to the funeral. A year goes by, no phone call. I called the family to say, why did you ignore me? I wanted to come. Mm -hmm. He answered the phone, and he said, it was so beautiful here, I forgot to die. <laughs> and people say, you should write a book with that title. It was so beautiful, I forgot. Yeah,
0: that is a killer title.
1: Yeah, and I have many other letters that say the same thing about what people did to enjoy the last few months of their life.
2: Mm-hmm. And then
1: the letter ends with, I didn't die, and I'm so busy, I'm killing myself.
3: <laughs>
1: you, know, like that, that you have to laugh at, but it was... Again, uh, in one of my books, I talk about a landscaper. Mm-hmm. Thank God, he was diagnosed in springtime. He had retired, was depressed, developed cancer. I operate on him. I said, You need more treatment. He said, If I got something, why? <laughs> it's springtime. I don't have time for treatment. Going to go home, make the world beautiful. So when I die, I leave a beautiful world. Mm-hmm. Six years later, my nurse handed me his chart, and I said, He's dead. We must have people with the same name. She said, open the door. So I opened the door and there sat John. I have a hernia from lifting boulders in my landscape business. (laughs) He never retired. Died at 91 after his wife died. Then he turned off his switch, if you know what I mean. And let his health go. But never of cancer. It never came back. Because he was busy making the world beautiful. And he became my therapist. I mean that. I would spend time with him. Hmm. So I could see a beautiful world. Yeah, and and it, just to take a walk with him was was therapy. Amazing. Let's get back
0: to the drawing for a minute, because <laughs> uh, that death quadrant thing and the past and the future really is, is fascinates me. So, can you summarize again? Where's the death quadrant and where's the past, present, and future well, in the drawing? I say these things and then
1: people. Worry when they do the drawing. Yeah. Um, if anybody's listening and still does a drawing, yeah. just relax and do it and then put yeah. it away for a day and then come back and look at it and yeah. things sneak in that you didn't realize, okay? Yeah. It's just like I can draw a picture myself and you'd say, well, you know what to draw. But then I'm amazed when you come the next day and you see mm-hmm. something. You know, it's like, let's say you forgot to draw fingers on your hands. You'd say, yeah. what are you having trouble getting a grip on? You know what I mean? Little things. <laughs> but yeah. the upper right is the present.
0: Uh-huh.
1: The lower right is the near future or recent okay. past. The lower left is the distant past.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The upper left is the far future or death concept. Hmm. Uh, so again, purple doesn't mean everybody's dying. I mean, it's a spiritual yeah. color. So okay. it's more like a purple you know, butterfly, balloon, something going mm-hmm. up in the sky uh, yeah. that's saying I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, that also helps parents whose children mm-hmm. give them a symbol. Yeah. Uh, and I can say, look, your child's ready. Don't keep putting them through everything. Your yeah. child's ready to go. Yeah. And intuitively, everybody knows the colors. I mean, just to give you one example, where one child drew this purple balloon, draped in black, going out of the picture. Below mm-hmm. it is a green and yellow child crying. And I thought, this is crazy. Green is natural. Yellow is energy. And I said to her, what, what does this mean? She said, that's not me. That's the kid in the next room crying. See, that's <laughs> what fascinates that me. Yeah. She's ready to die. But when she draws the kid in the next room, <laughs> it's it back to healthy colors again. <laughs> See, what makes her do that? It's <laughs> that intuitive wisdom and knowledge. So, again, as I said, if people say, I don't know where to live. I don't know what treatment to do there is a part that's the future and can tell you if you had a troubled past. Yeah. There'll be things there uh, that show up on the lower left and Mm -hmm. all those, Um, you know, these, I just tell people draw a scene, Um, you know, to let it just come from their unconscious. Uh, I don't tell them to look outside and draw a picture or copy something. Yeah. Just draw something. Right. Let me give you a a simple example. My wife, You know, did a lot of work with me. And when everybody was drawing, she happened to pick up the crayons and drew a picture. Mm -hmm. We have five kids. And one of them, I was trying to get him out of the house to go to college. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: and what she drew, uh, and at the time she drew it, two were away at college, three were home, including Mm -hmm. this boy and my wife and I. But when I looked at these flowers she had drawn, instead of Five at home and two away. She drew four at home and three away,
2: mm-hmm. and I
1: knew that meant that Jeffrey was a boy's name. Is the boy's name was going to go. He'd made up his mind. Hmm. Now between it, there were six little, again, more little structures, little flower type things, and I knew that the six had to do with the time, but I didn't know. You know, it could mean six years or six days. Yeah. Um, but six days from the day of her drawing, he packed up and drove off to join his brother in Denver where he, they were both uh, going to go to school there.
3: Yeah, and
1: yeah. Um, that's the kind of stuff. You know, my wife is just doing something to fill in the time. But yeah. boom, here was the information for me about yep. him and the future.
0: So have, that's interesting because have you heard of this HTP test, the house tree person test?
1: Yes. Yeah, I've heard of it. I'm not any, you know, expert, yeah. so to speak, in it. Right.
0: It sounds like you're an expert, though. <laughs>
1: well, I you mean, can... yeah, without knowing what it means, you know mean. not trained about the yeah. PhD, but all these things, mm-hmm. you could, I mean, I often would say to people, enjoy a home and family. And, uh, yeah, you can tell from the house, For instance, one one child with cancer said, I don't get enough time for my family. Mm -hmm. All right, draw your family. And see, the parents are in the office. Oh, we're so good to her. Oh, we take care of her. But what she drew was herself sitting on a chair all alone. And the rest of the family was on the sofa with an empty seat there where she could have been. And when the parents looked at that, they said, thank you. You know, Mm -hmm. they took her home and, and treated her very differently. And again, it's not me criticizing them. You yeah. see, saying you're bad parents, you're not doing, it's the child speaking to them.
0: Hmm. Interesting. So um, tell us more, what do you look for in the house when people draw a house?
1: Well, it's, is there a chimney to let the hot air out? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, does it look warm inside? You know, yeah. lit up. Uh, not just empty, Uh, so even the garden around it, paths in and out, who's home, who isn't, you know, you'll see daddy's at work or not in the picture, mom's in the kitchen, Mm -hmm. my sister's in her bedroom, and I'm all alone, so who's in what rooms, Uh, it's it's just, you can feel the warmth of, Hmm. you know, the loving family, um, and what's interesting, let me mention mine, because at the workshop, I drew our own family. We uh-huh. applied, And you know, there's lots of light, everything looks lovely, and I wanted to make sure everybody knew we have a wonderful family. <laughs> the same child who was driving me nuts, he wasn't holding hands of the brothers on each side of him. And was I set out to draw a picture so everybody will know we have a wonderful family and everybody's holding hands. <laughs> Wasn't touching anybody.
2: Hmm.
1: When I looked at that later, you know what I mean, like an hour or two later, when I was going over yeah. all the drawings with everybody, I thought, "Wow, I yeah. was blind to what I drew, but it's what I drew spoke the truth, not what I was trying to mm-hmm. tell everybody." You know how yeah. wonderful we are. Yeah.
0: Well, you got your feedback, huh? That's right. So, did you learn a lot of this from Carl Jung and his teachings?
1: Well, yeah, he's, well, I should say yes, but I learned a lot from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who was a Jungian, because yeah. she became really a basic friend of mine and, mm-hmm. and a therapist for me. And then the other was in London, um, Susan Bach, B-A-C-H.
2: Okay. Uh,
1: I came across her drawing, The Secret World of Drawings. See, these are drawings by children with cancer. Yeah. The kids aren't saying I'm not an artist. So right. she's an incredible collection. And I went mm-hmm. to London to be with her. Mm-hmm. And I learned from her drawings, from the colors, and then she put a book out and I got that and learned more. Mm-hmm. So it was just incredible to sit and learn from her. And as I said, mm-hmm. her quote what, to me was, because I would point out things about the body that I see in a drawing. You know, mm-hmm. Like a stream could be blood vessels, so, you know what I mean? So I, yeah. I would look and say, oh look, and she'd say Jung was, this is her quote, Jung was fascinated by the somatic aspects of the drawings.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I said it's because he knew anatomy. Yeah. See, that's the trouble. An art therapist doesn't know anatomy. Right. So they miss things that I might see in a drawing.
2: hmm yes.
1: And, yeah. and again, what's amazing is there are children, I mean, one of the um, uh, anesthesiologists, It was so fascinating. He made a coloring book for every child to draw Uh before surgery. But blank, right? He showed the intuitive wisdom. Yeah. He said on this page, an anesthesiologist who is dressed in green pajamas, it's what they look like, will come in and be taking care of you. Now, Mm -hmm. this child draws the anesthesiologist in red, even though it says on the page he's wearing green. Hmm. Why would you do that? Well, the anesthesiologist said, yes, his mother has a muscular dystrophy and he could have a genetic defect which will lead to adverse reactions to muscle relaxants and could threaten his life.
2: Hmm. So
1: I said immediately, turn to the last page. If he draws himself purple, I'm sending him home. going yeah. to operate on him. Well, hmm. on the last page, he had red and black, which said, I'm hurting where the surgery was, and I'm not happy.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, huh. You know, those colors. So we went ahead with the surgery. Another child sitting in a waiting room, has never been in the operating room, drew a picture of the operating room she's never been in. The wow. color of the drapes that we put on people. She drew two lights and black knobs where they bend, you know, to focus them, and how many people were going to take care of her. It was incredible, you yeah. know, and, and again, that's what changed people in the hospital, you know, because Siegel's always crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah. and no, Siegel's very interesting. You know, yeah. this is fascinating. It's better than an x-ray. Um, yeah. And so they became my supporters and we did this regularly. And what's interesting, I showed them this because you had an identification photo before you came into the hospital. Mm-hmm. You know, they made it on a, like a driver's license. You know what I mean? With yeah, yeah. But on each one, they put a band of color behind the photograph, like running mm-hmm. across from one corner from the lower left to the upper right. And then your picture was in the middle and the color was decorating it. And I showed them how fascinating that was because the administration got a yellow color. Okay. okay. The people who did radiation therapy got a red, an emotional color. Yeah. Um, the doctors got a purple color, you know, to be spiritual people. And so everything, every occupation in the hospital had an appropriate color hmm. behind them. Yeah, strangers had orange. Uh, that's a color of change. So came for the day, they gave them that one. And again, that helped show people what we're, you know, showing you. It's no different than uh, often when you go into the emergency room, you get a wristband and things like that, and they have a color, and the color yeah. is appropriate, you know, to the emergency room and what's happening.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: So what um, do you – what's your advice for parents, for example, uh, and their children's drawings? And they're not, you know, they're not like a, a psychologist or, or a pediatrician. No, and, What I I say
1: this to many parents, I say, ask your child to draw a picture of your home and family, Mm -hmm. and tell them that you want to decorate the refrigerator because you're proud of them and their and their drawings, and you know Mm -hmm. you want to put it up because you don't tell your kids. I want to evaluate you. Yeah, I I mean, I as I said, I have five kids. When they were drawing pictures in their room, and I walk in they'd slump down on the desk over their picture. <laughs> why? I don't want dad to see this and start telling me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if they had a problem, they'd say, dad, why should I draw? I want you to help me. You know, Yeah. I would tell them what to draw. Um, mm-hmm. But I would say to the parents, draw the home and family, mm-hmm. decorate the kitchen, then sit down and look at it. You know, yeah. where are you? Are you touching? Are you together? Mm-hmm. Um, all those things. As a matter of fact, one medical student was so interesting. He, he said he didn't know what specialty to go into. I said, draw a picture of each one. Family doctor, radiation oncologist. Um, oh, I forgot what the other one was, uh, what the other specialty was. But I said, draw the three. Now, he was such a nice kid. I thought, you ought to be a family doctor. That's what I would have told him. But when you looked at his three pictures, the family doctor was so damn busy, he wasn't (laughs) with his patients. The radiation oncologist, I was amazed, was holding his patient's hand, his wife's hand, and the other doctor also wasn't, you know, close to people. I can't remember what the other specialty was. But I said to him, Be a radiation oncologist. That's the best. Look at this. Years later, and he was a medical student then, wasn't married. Years later, I get a phone call because we kept in touch. He said, you know, we're having trouble. I said, what's the matter? My wife, we can't, she can't conceive, can't have kids, not, no pregnancy. I said, Matt, look at your drawings. There are three children in every drawing you did in your far future, that upper hmm. left. Interesting. And I said, I can't tell you whether you're going to adopt three kids or you're going to have them. But you're going to have three children. Mm-hmm. And a few years go by, and he's got three children. Amazing. And happy.
0: Welcome to the middle of the podcast. This is an exclusive interview for the upcoming book, B. Freud. Go to bfreud.com to get your free downloads and excerpts. bfreud.com.
1: What happened was I said to him, you drew three children in the far future. So whether you yeah. adopt them or your wife has them, I can't yeah. tell you, but you will definitely have three children. And yeah. after a few more years went by, they now have three children. And wow. you know, that, that's in you. And yeah. uh, I can, let me just add one more about having children because sure. a woman I knew from our cancer group called me one day. She said, Bernie, I'm pregnant, but I'm going to miscarry. I'm in the hospital. It's very emotional. i wonder if you could come over and talk to me. Mm-hmm. So I went over to her hospital room and she was in labor. The doctors were there, nurses, family, but the room was so filled with misery, you know, and, and horror because this terrible thing is going to happen. Um, I just walked in and immediately I could feel it. I screamed, get out of here. Get out of <laughs> here. They all yeah. looked at me like, who, who are you?" I said, "Get out." Huh. She told everybody to leave. They left and I calmed her down and we did a meditation and imagery of mm-hmm. controlling her uterus, calming it down, stopping the Uh-oh.
0: Are you there? Sorry.
1: And it all happened. Tracy in yeah, I'm here.
0: Okay. Um, I got a message. My internet connection is unstable. The last, I'm sorry, uh, just the last three or four words. What?
1: Well, I was able to get her labor to stop by getting her to communicate with her uterus. Wow. You feel it. And she went on to a normal labor and delivery. And the nice news was I got a phone call. Mm-hmm. And it said, we're naming the child after you. It's a boy. But his <laughs> name is Brady because we're Irish. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's cool.
1: But that Not was it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, do you ever see snakes in drawings?
1: It, yes. Um, I mean, we had every kind of animal in our house. So we had snakes roaming our house as well. But I, I think a snake can be something that someone fears. You know, I'd have to say, what kind of snake is it? You know, yeah. if you said it's a poisonous snake, then I'd say, what in your life is threatening you with poison? Hmm. When people have a problem, uh, whether it's, if they said it's a snake, all right, describe a snake. What does a snake mean to you? Mm-hmm. Um, or I lost my job. I have cancer. uh Yeah. say, what words would you use to describe what you're going through? What's your headache like? Mm -hmm. Pressure. What's it like to have cancer? Failure. See, then I say to those people, what's the pressure in your life? What makes you feel like a failure in your life? Now, if somebody said it's a wake-up call, it's a new beginning, fine. Uh, They're on the right track. But when you hear negative words, um, like draining, What's draining you? They, the pressure was the woman's marriage. Hmm. The failure was her parents committed suicide when she was a child. She must have been a failure as a child. Hmm. Those things had nothing to do with their disease, yeah. but it had to do with their lives. And boy, the people thank you and go home and straighten out their lives. Yeah.
0: Uh, I see um, quite often drawings of snakes that are smiling and quite often in the tree. Uh, so I really don't know what to make of that.
1: (laughs) Well, let me, let me tell you an interesting story that always impressed me.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I I was almost going to say it happened to me, but it really is a story. You (laughs) you walk down, you know, outdoors and there's a cave and you Mm -hmm. go in to see what's in it. And there's this beautiful gem I mean, a, a treasure sitting there. So you go to pick it up and what do you see? A big snake hissing. So you back away and leave. (laughs) And you spend your life regretting that you didn't have the courage to pick up that gem. What it would have meant to your family. Mm -hmm. So when you're an old man, you go back to the cave. And you walk in and there's the gem. And what's sitting next to it? A little frog. (laughs) Pick up the gem and you take it home. (laughs) And I think that's what that snake is representing. It's people's fears, what they're afraid of doing, what they're afraid will happen to them. Yeah. But when you grow up and realize mm-hmm. you have the potential, you're not afraid. It's just yeah. a little yeah. If, um, Yeah.
0: If somebody wanted to learn more like about Carl Jung and his drawing and in, in symbology, which book would you recommend?
1: Well, the three things I recommend are three books. In my book, The Art of Healing, there are 60 drawings. I have it, yes. Uh, and then there is Susan Bach, as I said, B-A-C-H, The mm-hmm. Secret World of Drawings, and okay. Greg Firth, F-U-R-T-H, okay. Life Paints Its Own Span. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's uh, you know a Jungian therapist, so there's not anatomy so much in his book, but more psychology, and Susan Bach has a combination of life and death, you know, the yeah. psychology, and mine is a little bit of everything because yeah. there's anatomy in it and other things where I as a doctor saw these things and, you know, put them in.
0: Yeah, when I got your book, uh, you know, I, anytime I'm reading up to five books, and maybe 10 if you count the audio books, and... But, when I got your book then I couldn't put it down. So I just kept going and going. I'm still <laughs> highlighting everything in it. And yeah, it's it's amazing. I, I highly recommend it. And is that your favorite book of yours?
1: It well, I'll tell you in a minute what my favorite, but I say to people what you just said, highlight mm-hmm. books. I mm-hmm. fold the corner of the page down. Yeah. And then come back and read it two years later. And you'll notice that you find things in there you didn't notice before. Yeah. And Hopefully you will, because that's a sign that you're progressing and becoming more enlightened. And I discovered that accidentally when yeah. I started rereading books without realizing I would read it before. And then I'd say, Hey, you marked it, you read it, yep. but new things were jumping off the page. The thing I keep reading now, uh, that I wrote several years ago, it's called 365 prescriptions for the soul,
2: mm-hmm. it's
1: a message for every day. Mm-hmm. Now, I used to randomly open it and look but now this year I started again on January 1st each day opening it and what awakened me was how much I have forgotten you know mm-hmm. because I think yeah. this book may have been published I don't know could have been 18 years ago let me just see I have it on my desk um, what year is in it uh, 2004 so 14 mm-hmm. years ago yeah and It's enlightening me because I will read about my experiences and say, oh, I (laughs) forgot about that. And so it's a wonderful teacher. And, uh, you know, with quotes, stories, I mean, it's practical, Mm -hmm. but it it keeps you focused on life. And I think that's the important thing. And then I read a lot of other spiritual books um, by, you know, various I Reli- right. call them religious leaders, but the message to me is what they're teaching us. See, I learned and when I began to study religion. how would you like this one?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You go get a smallpox vaccination, and then you hear what the Pope tells you in eighteen twenty three <laughs> he said, "You vaccinated yourself, you're not going to heaven. God decides you'll get smallpox <laughs> How'd you like that one? Dave? Is that a true story? Oh, yeah. Crazy, I, huh? I began to study religion because I saw for some patients it was a handicap.
0: Yeah. You know?
1: But uh, what I've Billy noticed Brand, there's a- say this in a modern. Billy Graham, yeah. uh, yeah. a minister here in the States. I don't know if you're familiar with it. But mm-hmm. somebody wrote to him in his newspaper you know, column, does God want me to have cancer? His answer was not necessarily <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. But he said, well, supposing you win the lottery and everything's wonderful in your life, God gives you cancer, now you'll come back to church. You got a problem. I mean, I hmm. can't believe, you know, when religious leaders do that. And let me yeah. tell why I read Maimonides a thousand years ago, two very significant ones. Yeah. He said, disease is a loss of health. It is not something God gives you. You've lost your health. And the Bible tells us, if you find what your neighbor has lost, return it to him. (laughs) So people need to understand that. And the other, which is very classical, if people took as good care of themselves as they do their animals, they would suffer fewer illnesses. Now that's a thousand years ago. And let me give you a quote from modern day, magazine called cat fancy magazine okay your cat dies of lung cancer <clears throat> your other cats are having trouble breathing and asthma because you and your husband smoke in the house hmm. i always say to people what would you do now people some people say well i stop smoking i'd say wrong answer <laughs> what this lady wrote was doug and i now smoke in the yard we love our cats more than the convenience of smoking indoors we are not killing our cats anymore. We hope you're not killing yours.
2: <laughs>
1: Can you imagine publishing that in the magazine without saying something to the readers? Yeah. Well, yeah. that's what the magazine did. Say so huh. they care about cats, you want to kill yourself, go ahead. I mean, it's so <laughs> absurd. <laughs> this is a thousand years later after Maimonides recommended you take a care of A thousand years. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Let me give you a couple of quotes of yours. I mean, I I can't go through your whole book because it's so fascinating, but I really love uh, these two or three. If you limit yourself to the channels accepted by your peers, your life will be all about staying within their confines. Mm -hmm. And, And then... Consciousness can be experienced as a universal field that affects us all, and studies by quantum physicists have uh, proven this. Can you elaborate on this?
1: Oh boy, I I don't. I'm trying to think of. um, (laughs) I I find that really fascinating. You you know, it's something specific from quantum physicists, but it's part of why, for instance, Jung and Einstein, you know, (laughs) became close. Mm-hmm. Uh because, again, they're speaking uh, like energy equal mass times the speed of light squared. I mean, mm-hmm. what the hell is that? But, yeah. <laughs> you know, but the see, the quantum physicists, this is what I do say. I, I love talk. talking to them because they, they're into the mystical. We don't yeah. know how the hell life began. Yeah. See, even the Bible, I mean, um, what's his name? Joseph Campbell said... Religion is a misinterpretation of mythology. And people hmm. get all upset when you say that. But, yeah, yeah. you know, what we're talking about, God was created. Then God creates man. Yeah. You know, and, and it, it's a stepwise thing. And yeah. so whether you're talking about an atom or creation, mm-hmm. uh, that's why the quantum physics is so mystical, Um just yeah. because of the fact that we can't explain it, but here we are. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I say, literally, see why I talk about it in the same way if we spent all the money we're spending exploring outer space mm. on the human body and inner space, yeah, of where we would be today in terms yeah. of our health and longevity, yeah, yeah, what so um, the inner space is just as remarkable and mystical. That's outer
0: space. So what do you say to your atheist patients? I've noticed there's a lot of spirituality and religion in your books and your work.
1: Yeah. Well, my definition of God is loving, intelligent, conscious energy. Mm -hmm. You need all those things for creation. So it isn't because, well, there's a wonderful story called The Next Voice You Hear, where Mm -hmm. Uh, by Edward Albee, where God talks to everybody. And God says, a perfect world is not creation, it's a magic trick. And (laughs) stop creating religions, they're a problem. Um, You see, and that's the difficulty. That when, I've been called satanic and a cult. (laughs) Why? You close your eyes and you meditate and Satan could take over your images. (laughs) That's a quote from a minister telling people not to attend my lecture <laughs> of course, yeah, then shows up because as soon as they told not to go, they all go. But it's so crazy. You see that yeah. we argue over words yep. and that's when we get into trouble. So I'm not a fundamentalist. I don't let words control me. I let experience control me. Yeah. See, I don't live by my beliefs. I live by my experience. I hear mm-hmm. voices. I mean, it's amazing the incredible things that I have experienced. Yeah, yeah. you know, and I mean, literally talking to me, um, uh, you know, if I get started, to we'll go on for hours more. But, <laughs> but I can't deny that those things happened. Yeah, and, uh, it's quieting the mind. Let me maybe emphasizing this. Yeah, the go ahead. one key I've learned that for everyone to do is to quiet your mind, Mm -hmm. the ugly duckling sees he's a swan on a still pond. Joseph Campbell talked about a tiger brought up by goats because his mother died chasing them. Um, He thinks he's a goat until a tiger takes him to a still pond and you Mm -hmm. see he's a goat. I have an animal intuitive friend. I thought she's nuts. (laughs) She talks to animals. Uh Does. And she taught me how. Bernie, quiet your mind. And you can get into the animal's mind and talk with them. And I have. And I may add, she has told me where to find a lost pet in Connecticut while she's been in Africa and California. She has how did you do that? my house because she gets into the mind of the animal. <laughs> Crazy, huh? Yes, I thought it was until wow. she did it. And then I wrote a foreword for her book because I said, you cannot deny. See, I experienced it. I said, you Mm -hmm. can't deny what she did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Her name is Amelia Kincaid. I mean, she's become a good friend now. Um, You kind of touched on that
0: earlier. What Western doctors and medicine doesn't understand is invalid in our, or in the medical world. Right.
1: So again, when you read about meditating, uh, Bible, so often, that still pond theme comes up. Yeah. And part of it, let me put it in simple words that Amelia gave me. She said, Bernie, if your dog is missing, your cat is missing, stop screaming their name. It's hmm. not going to achieve anything. Quiet your mind. You'll get into their mind. And it always works.
2: Wow. And then
1: I can talk to them. You know, I could say, come home. I don't want you out in the woods overnight. I mean, I had... I adopted a dog
2: mm-hmm.
1: who jumped out of my car on the way home from the animal shelter when I stopped to get gas.
2: Hmm.
1: I had to get everybody helping me to capture him and bring him back into the car. When yeah. I got home, I quieted my mind and I said, why did you do that? Mm-hmm. And I couldn't believe the answer, but I've learned when you can't believe it, it's really coming from the animal. And What was the answer? I belonged to a couple. The wife was lovely. The husband was an alcoholic. And when he would come home from work, the wife would say, take the dog for a walk. He'd put Hmm. me in the car, go drinking, abuse me, Hmm. and I don't wanna be in a car. Ah. I said to him in my head, I would never treat you that way. I love you, you're in a new home, we'll take care of you. Hmm. Two weeks later, I accidentally hit the button that opened the side door of the minivan, you know, where the door slides back automatically. I didn't know it. And I went shopping. I came back and I, as I'm walking towards the car, I thought, Oh my God, he's gone. Yeah. He was sitting in the open car (laughs) waiting. Yeah. Yeah. And my other dog wasn't there. (laughs) Then I got upset, but I hear Amelia say, stop yelling. Where's, you know, get your mind quiet. And I realized he was in the, market looking for me. So I went <laughs> back to the market and there he was uh, with the security guard saying, you're looking for a dog. <laughs> but, That's interesting. Uh, yeah. And I talk to all our animals now and they also read my mind. See, yeah. if people are hearing this and think I'm not say, okay, I'm taking it to the vet tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> they won't let you come near them. Yep, yep, I had yep. outdoor cats, and I made an appointment. I said to the vet, you need to see me first thing in the morning. That's when they come to eat, and I'll grab them. Hmm. Two cats outside. Yeah. The next morning, they don't show up. They didn't show up for a week. <laughs> they <laughs> they know. I finally said to the vet, forget about it. I can't get them. Yeah. The next morning, they were sitting and waiting for breakfast. <laughs>
0: yeah, they know. And they know. How
1: the hell do they, know? But yep. they know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um well, it that's not too far off. Sigmund Freud had a dog uh named Jofi, and he was there for every session and as a matter of fact, he got signals from the dog right before the session even started about the 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 patient, you know. I do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That dog buddy I mentioned to you, that was his name, Buddy. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. He was the one, you know, who belonged to an alcoholic. So, so I bring all our dogs and I also had a cat named Miracle. I'll tell you how she got her name that I would brought the treatments and uh, mm-hmm. making rounds. But Buddy would walk around the circle because we all sat in a big circle and yeah. he would walk up to some people and I could hear him saying, oh, you're doing very well. You don't need me.
2: <laughs>
1: and then he'd go to the next person and say, oh, you need a dog. You know, you need... <laughs> <laughs> and feel yeah. better. And yeah. I, I, when I got good reports, I would tell it to people. I'd say, "You just got a good, you know, report from the dog." Uh, yeah. If it was a negative, I wouldn't tell them that. But I knew yeah. he stayed there to get up <laughs> You
0: got a good report from the dog, huh? <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, if you know about a Labrador, you can call it a lab report. All right, yeah. but this happened in a lady's dream. Hmm. She said. A cat named Miracle appeared, told me how to treat my cancer, and I asked my doctor if he would, and he said he would, and I'm fine now. Wow. And so one of our kids brought home this kitten, and I said, "We'll name it Miracle.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And she was a miracle. I mean, I, I have to say, in a sense, I treated her like she was a dog, meaning that I took her everywhere. We went walking. Um, it, it just, she was just amazing. She didn't mm-hmm. fear anything because of her experience. You know what I mean? She'd been everywhere, yeah. uh, with people. Uh, I put her in people's hands and they would all relax if they felt her. And, uh, she lived to be over 20 years and died wow, because goodness. of a medication that she needed. Okay. Uh, when she developed the hyperactive thyroid, she had some crazy, bizarre reaction. I mean, I don't know, you know, if she hadn't needed the medication, she could have lived to be 50. I mean, she was just an incredible kind of creature. And uh, I have to tell you, it's something humorous because I entered her in a dog show. <laughs> down, and when I showed up with her and one of our dogs, they said, what are you doing here? There's a dog show. I said, she thinks she's a dog. So I entered her. I don't want to upset her. <laughs> so much attention because again she had no fear imagine a cat sitting in the middle of a dog show with 200 pound <laughs> dogs running over to sniff <laughs> them, and she would just rub noses with them the next year a sign went up it said dog show and at the bottom of the sign it said for dogs only
3: <laughs> And I knew so, they were
1: telling me don't come back because your cat took <laughs> over the show but it's those kinds of dreams I've had dreams too where cats uh you know when I've sought therapy to understand it um one was a cat um oh called I thought it was called diamond but nobody was saying the d at the end and when I was talking to James Hillman the Jungian therapist he said no Bernie it's diamond d-a-i-m-o-n it was your spirit and oh god it, it it made such a difference to to talk to him and how in five minutes, I understood so many things about dreams I was having. And I may add a past life Um, when somebody, you see, again, these things have happened to me. It wasn't do you believe, not believe, but consciousness doesn't die. Mm -hmm. So we can be born with the consciousness of people who preceded us. You know, I always say, when you see a five-year-old playing a violin in a concert orchestra, how the hell did that happen? Yeah, well, sure. there was a violinist that's in him, you know, uh, the consciousness, so they have that talent. But uh, when a friend heard how many interviews I was having, how many places I was going to speak, she said, Bernie, why are you living this life?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, she wanted me to calm down and quiet down. I went into a trance, because she said that to me over the telephone. Why <laughs> are you living this life? And I will just abbreviate it, but I saw myself with a sword in my hand killing people and a dog. (laughs) And I I, I tell you, when I, it it was like watching a movie about myself. It's the only way I can describe it. I cried for hours. But the message that it gave me, I felt, was maybe that's why you're a surgeon today. You helped me. With a knife. You're not killing.
2: Aha. Uh-huh. And
1: the other was that one of our kids came home w- with the word words written over and over again on a canvas in an <laughs> art class. What happens when you write words, words, words with no space between them? What I saw it? that picture. Yeah, swords, swords, swords. Yep, they blend together. Where is this coming from? This little. Squeak at school, <laughs> I think he was telling me something, you know, you can yeah. kill a cure, and about the past, and I really felt, and and Hillman helped me, you know, because it was so emotional, mm-hmm. but I, it made me realize why I wanted a dog when I was a little kid, yep. drove my parents crazy, but they didn't want a dog, and then mm-hmm. in one of my books, Love Animals and Miracles, you understand, because I discussed the Segal Zoo. I mean, we've been rescuing and saving animals mm-hmm. for decades. I mean, this house was a zoo. You wouldn't believe it. I mean, everything was running loose, had names. They were all family, you know, yeah. <laughs> and even snakes. Yeah. Um, but it, it made me realize there's a reason you've always behaved this way, rescuing and saving people, and that the knife, as I say, can kill a cure. But mm-hmm. it taught me so much about my past, Uh, by having that experience. And Hillman, this is a very key statement and everybody needs to know who their Lord is. Because I was a knight in a castle. The Lord of the castle said to me to go kill the neighbor's daughter. (laughs) And I said, why don't I kill him? He's the problem. They were fighting over land that Uh was between the two properties. And he said, no, I want you to kill his daughter. And if I don't, then I'll kill you. Okay, I'm going. And I went and killed the daughter and her dog, who was in her bedroom when I went in. because I wanted to try to kill her in her sleep. But in anyway. Pardon? In the dream. Well, it wasn't a dream. I was living it. But okay. It was like watching a movie. Let's put it that way. You know, seeing myself doing all this. Wow. Um, and when i said about the lord the hillman he said bernie do you hear what you're saying i said what do you you mean you keep saying my lord i said yeah the lord of the castle he said no bernie it's your lord Hmm. you have to go home and relive this and boy when he said that i knew what it meant because think about jesus Mm -hmm. think about abraham Mm -hmm. why to kill your kid it's the same situation I was in. Why didn't Abraham say, take me, leave the kid alone? Yeah. Hey? He says, okay. And he ends up with a living child.
2: Hmm.
1: Why did Jesus, why didn't he jump off the cross to impress people? Hmm. He's capable of miracles. Why didn't he say to God, look, can we find another way to do this? <laughs> but, but he had total faith. And I mean this today. If God came to me and said, Bernie, would you give up your life? to make a difference in the world, mm-hmm. I'd say yes. Now, I couldn't have said that years ago before mm-hmm. my past life and the therapy with Hillman. I, I, I would have had a lot of trouble saying yes. But today, I have that faith mm-hmm. and I can say it. And I have seen people go home with cancer, yeah. expecting to die and come back free of disease. Mm-hmm. What did you do? I left my troubles to God.
2: Hmm.
1: That's yeah. a quote from a lady whose cancer disappeared. They wow. went home and they had faith. Yeah. And what that did to them and their body. And I used to have a lot of trouble understanding Abraham and Jesus. Yeah. You know? yeah. But I learned they had faith and they right. knew what they were doing was the right thing for everybody, not just, just personal. Yeah.
0: Could you mention again Hillman or his book?
1: Yeah, he wrote, oh God, um, uh, I can't remember the title of it. But he was your therapist? About about fiction. Oh, yeah. There's a word fiction in the title. Um, Because what I've learned also is it's not fiction. Hmm. It's the truth. See, like reading Solzhenitsyn or reading other novels. Uh, I love William Soroyan. Um, Yeah, in one of his, A Young Man Dies, Starving to Death, the last three words in in the story, it's called The Young Man on the Flying Trapeze, The Trapeze the God. He becomes dreamless, unalive, and perfect. Now, how does he Hmm. see? Why those words? You leave your body, blind people see, deaf people hear. You see, you're perfect again. Or in the, the show Carousel, Uh, an angel says to a man who died, you want to see your daughter graduate from high school? My daughter's a baby when I was killed. What are you talking about? And the angel says, there's no time up here. (laughs) Now why would somebody, Rogers and Hammerstein, writing a musical, where do they come up with that sentence? There's no time up here. But that was something else I struggled with. You know, when parents would tell me, uh, I was driving down the parkway and I heard my son's voice, the son died seven years ago. I heard him say, Ma, slow down. And a pigeon landed in the lane, and he raised pigeons. So I slowed down. Hmm. And there's a sheet of ice and 20 cars piled up. But I wasn't in it because my son told me to slow down. Hmm. Now, see, that drove me nuts. I mean, yeah. the, what the hell's is a kid doing for seven years? Jeez. But if it's no time, it's not seven years for that kid, if you know yeah. what I mean. Um, and all of that began to make sense to me. So all the people's experiences and everything else. So, I mean, I know. Yeah. Death and is it, doesn't, yeah. you know, it's not, I don't have anything to fear about death. I mean it. Yeah. Uh, when my yeah. time comes, fine. I'll turn the switch off and go.
0: <laughs> You'll tell everybody beforehand what minute you're going to die.
2: Huh?
0: <laughs> yes. So what, um, did you have... Um, that was
1: after you shaved your head, right? What happened oh, before well, uh, you shaved that's your another head. one, you see. Yeah. In the 1970s, when our sons were wearing their hair down to their shoulders, and they told the barber, if he shaved my head, they're going to kill him. Hmm. I went in and said, I'll go away on vacation. And that was a lie.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: On Friday, I said, I'll go away this week. And so he shaved my head. My wife almost fainted when she saw me. <laughs> I didn't know why, but I had to. And here we're back to Carl Jung. I'm reading a story. Yeah. The hero's head is shaved in this myth. And Jung said, it's like what uh, monks do to uncover their spirituality. It's called a tonsure, T-O-N-S-U-R-E. And it creates like the head of the child, a little baby again. Hmm. Again, see, what are you covering up? Mm -hmm. That was a theme we started with. And here it is, I'm uncovering something. Mm -hmm. And boy, when I read that again, I thought, well, if I'd been in therapy in the 70s, I wouldn't have had to do
2: this. (laughs) Um,
1: And let me add this, see how our, our life is stored in our body. I mean, we know this and accept it now because you have a heart transplant, a lung, you know, different organs. And you know about the person that was, Put into you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people don't say you're crazy anymore. They know. Yeah. So, I went, let's see, at age, yeah, when I was 50. Um, I have to tell you why I say this. Because I was born to a woman who was very sick. Hmm. My father was told not to have children. It could kill you. Hmm. She went ahead and got pregnant. And I won't go into the details, but... I mean, she had a hell of a difficult time, couldn't survive a cesarean section. They finally reached in after a week of labor and pulled me out. And my mother said, they handed me, they didn't hand me a child. They handed me a purple melon. (laughs) And that's from all the hemorrhage and, you know, bruising and swelling. Yeah. And she said, we wrapped you in kerchiefs when we were allowed to take you home from the hospital, put you in a carriage and covered it so nobody would see you and get upset. I said, then why am I not a drug addict, alcoholic? Why did I survive? Because yeah. if you don't touch a child, I mean, kids right. in the 1800s died in, the, in all yeah. the offices because nobody was touching them and stimulating them. My mother said, oh, my mother took you, poured oil all over you, and pushed everything back where it belonged three, four, five times a day. <laughs> now jump ahead 50 years. I got a shaved head. I go to get a massage with my wife. I always loved male therapists because of their coarse hands. It, it felt, you know, good. Right. But the therapist said, I'm really busy. I can do one of you, my wife can do the other. She was also a therapist. I said, well, I want my wife to, you know, get the stimulation, so go ahead. And I went to the wife. She pours oil all over me and starts on my shaved head. <laughs> I went into a total trance and became an infant again.
2: Hmm.
1: It was incredible. Yeah. What a wonderful experience. Awesome. The minutes go by. I finally, as she travels over my body, open my eyes and the room was filled with people. Uh huh. I said, what the hell's going on here? I'm getting a massage. What are you doing <laughs> in the room? Our husband was standing at the foot of the bed. He said, we thought you had a heart attack or a stroke. You were gone. We could not communicate with you.
2: Hmm.
1: I said, I know. I became an infant. I couldn't talk.
0: (laughs) What was their reaction
1: to that? Well, at least they knew I was okay. (laughs) I explained to them about my childhood experience and my grandmother. Yeah, and what he had done, and then they all relaxed and left. <laughs> what a hell of an experience that was! But you boy, were in
0: a deep trance.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. I I accepted it when patients at the hospital told me that mm-hmm. they knew who, you know, whose heart and lungs were in them and their name mm-hmm. of the person, and oh, and more about them because mm-hmm. we often connected with their families. Yeah, there's a
0: story in your like, book about. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah. But I mean, I know that those things are true. So when it happened yeah, yeah. to me, again, see, I have experienced it. I'm not yeah, living yeah. my beliefs. I know damn well our life is stored in our body. And, and you see there, again, psychiatrists who have gotten medical students to draw pictures of themselves and fill out personality profiles and then look them up 20 and 30 years later yeah. and say, oh, I could predict what disease they were going to get. That's the words of a psychiatrist. At Johns Hopkins, she said, I, when I looked at their drawings and their personality, I knew what they were going to get. Wow. And how
0: old were they when they drew this? Medical students. Oh, okay.
1: Decades later. You see, it's it's about how you brought up. At, yeah. at Harvard, they did a little study, very simple one. Did your parents love you? No. <laughs> did your parents love you? Yes. If you said no, 98% had suffered a major illness. Middle age. Hmm. If you said yeah. yes, 24% had.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: No That's a big that difference. Monday morning. And Monday morning, you have more heart attacks, strokes, suicides, and illnesses. Yeah.
2: So, again,
1: you, you can't separate yourself from your emotions and your feelings. And, yeah. and bringing up children loved is what the world needs. You know, all the yeah. violence, uh, mm-hmm. it, it's all a matter of revenge. If you're brought mm-hmm. up with love, you don't drive a car into a crowd. <laughs> no, you don't exactly. A in a restaurant. Uh, you don't shoot people at the movie. Yeah. Uh, so
0: you were talking about these um, self drawings. How often should somebody do a, a, a drawing?
1: I would say if you had a specific question about how am I doing in my life, I'd say, yes, do a drawing. You know, if you said, I don't know which job to take, I'd say, fine, draw yourself in each, you know, job. And and then you don't look at it right away. You draw it and then come back a day or two later and maybe Mm -hmm. bring family with you and say, which one looks good? Which one do you think I ought to do? Hmm. uh, Because I know from my own experience, that when I'd say to somebody, you know, I think you'd be best, you know, you care about people being there, but then they draw the picture and it looks lousy and and something else looks much better. So draw the pictures, look at them a few days later. And the other is sometimes you just draw a picture of yourself and look Mm -hmm. at what has changed. Are your shoulders big and broad? So you're carrying problems on them. Uh, Are your hands hidden? So you can't reach out or get a grip on things. You don't Mm -hmm. have legs. Oh, one that was really cute. The boy came in, showed me the picture, and I said, You don't have any legs. Yeah. What's going on? He said, Turn the page over. <laughs> Finish the drawing on the other side. See, that I love. He has self esteem. He doesn't yeah. even sit on one page. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. You yeah that's
0: a quote page. from your book, too. It says, Having learned from experience to trust patients' drawings. Right. Yeah. So there's um, more in there than uh, we could possibly know, I guess.
1: Yeah, because even when you think about it, as I said, when I do drawings, my consciousness blinds me to think. Yeah. So it's only when I come back to look at it as if somebody else drew it. Yeah. And my mind is quiet that I notice. What's did, there. did Carl
0: Jung have a dog? Because Sigmund Freud used a dog lot. But he didn't do much with
1: drawings, did he? Carl Jung really... Oh, yeah. Jung was the one who got into the drawings and dreams and everything, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he had a dog or not. Yeah. I can't answer. Yeah. Probably and... not you don't read much about it.
0: Yeah, no, no, no. Um, but I
1: always say to people, yeah. you know you know who Lassie is? I, I say, if you don't know what to do, what would Lassie do? <laughs> you know, act like an animal. I mean, in terms of their love. Because yeah. again, I've operated on animals, too, all our pets. They don't bite me when I'm hurting them. They lick my hand.
2: Hmm.
1: Hmm. I mean, that blew my mind. Yeah. It, it, it hurt my heart more than them saying stop or bite my finger, you know, biting my finger when I was doing something. They turn. Yeah. And let me tell you something. Uh, I would recommend everybody read a story called "Rags," a poem called "Rags." By Edmund Vance Cook. And I'll tell you why. I, the dog I have now is named Rags. Okay. A dog saves your life while you're in the war. You know, he's working with the soldiers. Right. The war ends. You get discharged. You can't find him to take him home. You go back to medical school. That's why this poem had me in tears. Yeah. You walk in to the class, and there's a dog cut open. Uh oh. You go over to look with the other students and it's rags hmm. and he licks your hand <laughs> and dies. Yeah. And, you know, basically the finish of the poem is if there's no place in heaven for a creature like that, I'll take my place in hell. Yeah. And when I read that poem in a book of poetry, I mean, there was animal poetry. Oh boy. Yeah, that's a good one. rags Because there's a poet, I forgot his name, who, on his dog's headstone, you know, he put a stone where his dog was buried. Mm -hmm. It it talks about all the wonderful uh, aspects of the creature that's buried there, you know, Mm -hmm. the love. And at the end, it says that it's a dog, because a person would never, you know, fulfill that description. for everybody to know that's his dog that's buried there.
0: Yeah. Is that your favorite? No, that's your favorite poem, huh? What What's your favorite book?
1: <clears throat> My favorite book? I, I, well, the one I love is a novel by, by William Soroyan called The Human Comedy. Mm-hmm. It is all about life. I love the title. It takes place during World War II. So it's very much like what's going on in the world today. Yeah. And it, It deals with death and life and love. Um, Yeah. I mean, one of the quotes that I love from it was the best part of a good man stays forever for love is immortal and makes all things immortal while hate dies every minute. (laughs) That's a good one. Oh, it's, it it just is so real about people. Um, And as I say, and love, because imagine having a job delivering death telegrams
2: hmm.
1: from World yes. War II. Yeah, not nice. All of this is, is blended together. Um, and another book that ends interestingly that I always mention is The Bridge of San Luis Rey by okay. Thornton Do you know that book? Uh, no, it sounds right, familiar. Novel, but in it, a bridge breaks. Okay. And people die. Do you ever stop and ask yourself, why did God do that to them? Why did it break when they were on it?
2: Hmm.
1: Maybe the Pope would say, oh, they must have been sinners. (laughs) But what you learn in the book is no, it's not about that. You know, it's not proving that they did something wrong and that's why God did it. And it also ends with this wonderful quote. And we ourselves shall be loved for a while and forgotten, but the love will have been enough. All those impulses of love return to the love that made them. Even memory is not necessary for love. There's a land of the living and a land of the dead, and the bridge is love, the only survival, the only meaning. Hmm. And that's the last paragraph in the book. Wow. And I've learned that too. You want to yeah. live forever? Love somebody.
0: Mm-hmm. That is profound, Dr. Bernie. We've been talking for an hour and 40 minutes. Yes, I never
1: stop. <laughs> That's because, great. Um, see, the only thing truer than the truth is a story. Yeah. And, well, let me finish with this, if we are sure. finishing now, that I didn't tell you. In a meditation, I met a man named George, my inner guide. He was very spiritually dressed. Uh, I was rather disappointed it wasn't Moses or Abraham or Jesus, <laughs> no, George, yes. okay. And then I'm out speaking one night and I noticed that you're not paying any attention to your outline that you made to talk from. Yeah. I said, yeah, but what the hell it's, I'm doing well, so I'll just keep talking.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: A woman came up afterwards said, that was better than usual, I've heard you before. <laughs> and the next person came up and said, There was a man standing in front of you for the entire lecture, so I drew his picture for you. <laughs> and it was George.
0: Uh-huh.
1: He gave the talk. I'm the mechanism he uses to speak. I always say it's like your television set is demonstrating a program, it's not creating it. <laughs> a couple of years after that, and I realized that that was true, I stopped preparing. I mean, if you know what I mean, I just show yeah. up and yeah. then I speak for George. I spoke at a Christian funeral and Alga Worrell, the healer, if you want to read some interesting things, see if you can find the book, The Gift of Healing by Alga and Ambrose Worrell. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know she's a healer because she healed me of an injury by just putting her hands on me when I didn't believe it. She was lecturing at a medical conference. But wow. she came over to me because she knew the man who died also and said, Bernie, yes are you Jewish? I said, what's that about? Cause I spoke at a Christian funeral. No, there's a rabbi standing next to him. And it was George. She <laughs> described him in total detail. And then I understood why he was dressed the way he was, uh-huh. you know, in terms of his, yeah. all his garments from his head to his feet. And, um, yeah. And then even at Stop and Shop one day, I'm kidding around, and somebody said, oh, Dr. Siegel. I said, look, when I'm acting silly, don't call my name out so everybody knows. Give me another name. And she called me George immediately. <laughs> now, there are no coincidences. The Elizabeth Cooper ross had a Swiss accent, and she would always say to me, Bernie, there are no coincidences. <laughs> That's the thing I've learned whether it's Freud, mm -hmm. Jung, Einstein, we're creating the future.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And so it's not a coincidence when you go somewhere. And I really listen. You know, I get in the car and it's like, which way should I drive? Where should I take the dog for a walk? Uh, Where should I park? Uh, I mean, I get messages Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and it's amazing. And so I follow the instructions. See, there's something maybe the last mystical thing to talk about. When my mother died, I found enormous numbers of pennies, several dozen. Yeah. And the grandchildren started saying, they're pennies from heaven. Mm -hmm. It was like, where did they come up with that? I mean, these are little pipsqueaks standing Mm -hmm. in the yard and saying, oh, they're pennies from heaven. And I would find them on the way back from the mailbox. Yeah. So they weren't there when I went to get the mail. well, when my wife died I you know I basically said to her, uh, even though she's dead I mean we're still talking to each other uh, some of the experiences I've had I said, don't forget the pennies." Well we were married on the 11th and I'll just focus on that mm-hmm. I have found a dime and a penny four times since she died hmm. where one is in a bird bath outside our house a, a voice came and said, "Go clean the water in the bird bath." I went over and I'd dump out the dirty water. There's a dime and a penny sitting in it. Yeah. And I, mean, I mean, nobody can explain that. And I said to our kids, did you do this? No, <laughs> Dad. I yeah. found it three times in Stop and Shop, you know, the supermarket. Yeah. And I would hear a voice say, go into that aisle. And I'd go into the aisle and there'd be a dime and a penny on the counter where you check out. <laughs> Just stay there. Three yeah. times. Yeah. I mean, and, and other pennies that I found. Um, I've also had what I call a kiss at night. Um, and it, 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 think of yourself blowing out a candle. <sighs> yeah. A, a puff and a breeze. And I'm lying in bed and there's nobody in the room, not even an animal. And I f- hear puff and I feel a breeze on my face. Hmm. I knew my wife was kissing me goodnight. Ah. Oh. And that that's happened right, many that's times. That's and I mean, the other that's things have happened, I can't even remember all of them, but yeah, it, it, it's from sounds to, you know, seeing like yeah. mystical things in the room. And I'm not the only one who's had that. Of course. I mean, I families tell me that when one of their kids died and then the sister got married, people were taking pictures at the wedding and there was this cloud, I mean, like a person,
2: mm-hmm. in
1: the photographs. And they knew it was the brother you know, who mm. came, I mean, just to tell yeah. stories forever. Interesting. But I keep my mind open. Yeah. I question it and uh, found enormous numbers of pennies in all kinds of odd places that my wife would leave there. And uh, there's no explanation for it. Mm. You know, it wasn't there a couple of hours ago. And then suddenly yeah. you're walking around the house and it's sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <clears throat> That's very Jungian. <laughs> what what about um the one video in, in YouTube I watch a lot of yours, uh direct quote out of the video, the patient statement, you practice every day to become the person you want to be.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: And oh boy, there's a lot. So what well, what's the
1: in that? Let me say what Jung I mean not Jung, but what Soroyan said mm-hmm. in the story. He said everybody alive is an actor but Mm -hmm. almost everybody alive is a very pathetic actor that's why you're given a lifetime to rehearse and practice (laughs) you see if you act as if you're the person you want to be it changes your body chemistry and you become that person because we know from drawing blood from actors in a comedy your immune function improves stress hormone levels go down yeah in a tragedy Immune function goes down, stress hormone levels go up. So, mm-hmm. literally, actors get sick. Yeah. Especially in the wintertime if they're yeah. in some tragic play because it, uh, it takes their, you know, strength and energy yeah. and immune function away.
0: That's one of the wonderful things about all of your books and your work is how you combine real world experiences with, and I hate to say mystic, but let's say the, the subconscious or whatever. And um, it's a really awesome uh, blend of the two domains. And you do it very well. I think maybe that's why you have so many fans.
1: Well, it's, I've, I've lived it. And, yes. I think, and so my mind is open. You know, yep. I, I don't deny things. Yeah. Uh, I, I've learned, I've had enough arguments with doctors. And as I said, it's why I became a storyteller. See, when mm-hmm. you get statistics, yep. you hear from the audience, yeah. That's poorly controlled. That's not a good journal. Yeah. You tell a story. Oh, that's an anecdote.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's an anecdote. Mm-hmm. But it's true. And then mm-hmm. they have things happen in their life. And the next thing you know, they show up and start to tell you, I got a story for you. See, and then the walls come down. Yeah. I mean, one student did a study on our cancer patients and showed the benefits. Yeah. His Yale professor said to him, it can't be true. And made him change the numbers so everything yeah. came out even. See, that's the problem.
0: Yeah.
3: I've heard
1: it, of that before. Yeah. But you see, when you're talking to the quantum physicist and the astronomer,
0: yeah. they have
1: an open mind.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's awesome. So, boy, you know what? We're going to have to do another podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, so what's in the future for
1: you? Life.
0: Yeah. Any, I mean, projects, books.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm working on a very spiritual one now that Mm -hmm. I sent to uh, the the Hay Foundation. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, they're putting it together now. uh, And, and, you know, what they're calling the gems. Because, you know, it's me with all my stories. But they're going to put it together and we'll edit it and publish it. And I also have written a novel that I want to get published
2: Mm -hmm.
1: about past lives. Uh, one of them is mine but I I changed the character Uh, yeah so it's called I think the insurance man that's me Mm -hmm. but I have a psychiatrist and a mafia Don (laughs) that if you're a kid in past life and you lead to someone committing suicide because of what you do yeah think about coming back in this life and wanting to help people yeah or you have a family killed yeah by another tribe you come Mm. back this life you want to be the tribe that everybody's afraid of so you, yep. need, you know a mafia member i mean there are reasons we do things um yeah. and in the in the book they all learn from their past life experience because mm. the psychiatrist who didn't basically believe in it has it happen mm-hmm. to him when he goes to a workshop and then he comes back and does it with his patients and uh you know yeah difference it makes in all their lives
0: so have you started this book
1: yeah have
0: you thought of self-publishing
1: it well if um if I can't get like the Hay foundation or someone to do it you're damn right I'll self-publish it yeah
0: I'll help (laughs) you self-publish that book Dr. Bernie that is my specialty if you didn't know
1: Um, see there's life yep the synchronicity yep what you just told me Mhm. All right? Yep. Good stuff. I love it. I love it. Well, you know what? When we're done, yeah. send me an email mentioning okay. that. Because so oh, I'll, I'll check with them. I'm doing like a last edit. I mean, I wrote okay. the novel several years ago, yeah. but I brought it back up to add things to it and check mm-hmm. with the Hay Foundation and mm-hmm. see if they're interested. And. Yeah. uh If if it doesn't work with them, you and I will put it together.
0: Awesome, yeah. Because you have, you already have a website, and I was looking. You have, um, I think you're you're doing a podcast on another website or something. Oh, and
1: all kinds of things. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you're. Yeah, so you have a following. I mean, you don't need a big publisher anymore. You've got enough people behind you. You can self-publish very easy. Okay, but that's another topic.
1: No, but I mean, I have. Yeah, for me, it's just you know, having agents and, and even editors yeah. I have. A matter of fact, she's over in Ireland now um, yeah. because these are people I've worked with, so it's easy to let them help me do the mechanical things. And if yeah. you're available, that'll be perfect.
0: Yeah, excellent. All right. So, Dr. Bernie, I mean, I, I want to reserve uh, uh, another podcast date with you someday. It's so fascinating talking with you. All but right. let's try to wrap it up with your number one tip, for
1: anybody a simple statement is when you live in your heart magic happens
0: when you live in your heart magic happens yes
1: in other words don't make up your mind ask your heart how does it feel to do this yeah i grew up with three messages let me tell you what my parents did if they yeah your parents you come home from school when i was a kid i got a horrible day today it really drove me nuts So I don't know what to do tomorrow. Do what makes you happy. She never told me what to do. It was always do what makes you happy. Mm -hmm. I wasn't happy when she would say that, but I learned from her to pay attention to your feelings. The second was, Ma, everything went wrong today. God is redirecting you. Something good will come of this. Hmm. Ma, you don't understand. But she was right. It's amazing to me what often happened. I call it spiritual flat tire you get a flat tire on the way to the airport, you miss your plane and you learn it crashes. Oh,
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: like that tire in the living room. And the other was that material things were to make it a better world. I was asked on some, by somebody who called me, you know, that you can win a million dollars. Just give me some information. Um, and I, I love entering lotteries. So right. I did. And then they said, what would you do if you won the lottery? I'd make the world a better place for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And, The guy was stunned. He said, I've never heard anybody say that. Hmm. That's So material things make the world better. Problems are God's redirections. And how do you make decisions? Do what makes you happy. And that's not being selfish. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. What feels right for you? What job should I take? Where should I live? Who should I marry? Stop thinking. Yeah. And don't let others impose it on you.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Bernie. So what is the name of your website? Bernie Siegel,
1: S-I-E-G-E-L-M-D.com. Excellent,
0: excellent. Thanks so much, Dr. Bernie. It's been one hour and 55 minutes. <laughs> I respect your time, and but I could talk to you forever. Um, true. so, so let's I do this, this again.
1: again you ordered dinner for me that's what I should have done
0: <laughs> okay well yeah. I'll let you go now thanks again Dr. Bernie alright bye bye Okay. have a good one
1: Eric you too
0: that's it folks I hope you liked that podcast remember to go to bfreud.com that's Freud like in Sigmund Freud befreu to get your free downloads and excerpts of the upcoming new edition of b Freud, The Drawing Personality Test Book.